You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that came, that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had, who, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, there they stayed for a few days. John 2 verses 1 through 12. Thanks, Monica, for reading God's word for us today. Can we pray first before we get into this? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories, the real life, just the humanity of Jesus as well as the the deity of him. And um, God, as I come into this morning, I, you know, I I know I need you. I come in in my own weakness and in my own need of doubling back to listen to Jesus again. After the, the years that we've been through and the divisions that we've been through, it has become so patently obvious how much your people need to double back and listen to you again and to be deepened in that encounter. And, and I need that. We need that. And so I ask today, which really sets in motion the next year in our preaching of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I just ask that we can meet with you, the living one, in your name. Amen. I used to think of myself, I did for a long, long time, as this really, really chill, late, why are you chuckling out there? (laughs) Really chill, laid back kind of guy. Yeah. Well, that whole self-narrative got obliterated one day by one of the staff members at Faith Community Church. Um, I mean, literally blown out of the water. At the time, Faith Community Church, some of you may not know this about our history, it was about 15, more than 15 years ago. No, 15 years ago about when our church started. We were worshiping at the Rio Theater, just down the street, inside of the Rio Theater, and having kids community in pup tents in the middle of the lobby and stuff like that. Some of you who were around remember that. And then we also had our church office right next door, to the Rio Theater in what is now uh, Tomboy Vintage Faith Clothing. That was our office that we got all developed out and had kids community. What is it called? Vintage clothing, not vintage faith clothing. Oh, sorry. Vintage, vintage clothing. <laughs> or it could be vintage faith clothing. I mean, you know, 
Sometimes I wear clothing on faith that it, you know, it's going to work for me. Um, and then my wife comes along and says, you're not going to wear that. Um, so vintage clothing, um, Thank you to my wife and daughter for catching that. And so I was in our old office and I was just getting stuff done. And as I was getting stuff done, I was doing it with this intense focus. And apparently the intensity that I applied to the work that I was doing caught the attention of Monica Trevino, who happened to have been up here reading the scriptures, who Monica at the time served as our kids community ministry director. And she just kind of blurted out to me in my intense intensity. She said, wow. Andy, you really have a go mode. And it was like, bam. It was like this Holy Spirit moment where those two words got my attention. Go mode. And it was (laughs) the church, its people did its job in that moment in my life by reflecting the truth of me back at me. And I realized that I was not nearly as laid back as I like to think I am, that I really am a go mode kind of person who lived a lot of my life as if the kingdom of God was all about getting stuff done and taking names for Jesus. And I not only realized that, but here was another one. And this happened literally like within a week of this happened. Uh, One day I read this profoundly moving handwritten, handwritten letter from somebody writing to me saying, thank you so much for introducing me to Jesus. And I, and I shocked myself when I read it and I didn't pause to celebrate that letter at all. I just blew by it. And when I stopped and I realized, wait a minute, you're blown by this thing. I, and I stopped to think about my thoughts. How often do you do that to yourself? You need to stop sometimes and think about your thoughts And I thought about my thoughts on that letter. I was stunned to see that I expected that kind of stuff to happen like that was supposed to happen regularly. And so that my expectation of the amazing things that only God can do when they did happen, I just moved on in go mode rather than being a human being who can stop to celebrate the joy and the delight of God's grace and his goodness in a handwritten letter. Who does that? And guess what I'm trying to express to you is I once lived as if somewhere Jesus must have said in the Bible, blessed are those who live in go mode for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And just to be clear, that's not in your Bible, but I live like that. And I'm, I know I'm not entirely alone in this. I know it because I think it is so easy for us. We can live like a human doing rather than a human being. Uh, We can end up in this way where... (laughs) This is church culture, right? Where sinners and slackers are the ones who get to rest and play and enjoy things in life. And saints, we get to work hard. And that rest and play and enjoyment, well, that will be for us when we get to heaven. But for now, we're rewarded with work. And I think, here's the thing, is I think that unbelievers who I have opportunities to talk to here and there, unbelievers looking at Jesus from a distance, and even many of us believers, we can end up in a place where we think that Jesus and his kingdom is about, and here are the bullet points, we think Jesus and his kingdom is about dullness and boredom, hardly any gladness or play involved in the kingdom of God. We could think that Jesus is in his kingdom about hard work that is rewarded with more work. 
It's about getting stuff done because there's a kingdom that's marching forward here. Or we could think of Jesus and his kingdom as about being against everything that's bad with hardly any idea of like, wait, what are we for? Is there anything good and positive that we're for? And the question that I want to ask as we get into this passage this morning is, wait a minute, is that right? That's the question. So today we're starting a new series. Look again, look closer. This really begins a year of faith community church entering into, I don't know what to call it, I guess like a magnified attentiveness to Jesus because I have seen, you have seen in our culture and in the church, the church by the Holy Spirit in the West is under review, appropriately so. And in this review that the church is under, I think this church, we need to double back and see Jesus again as his own terms and see stuff again. Look at passages that maybe we've seen before, but maybe we need to see new things about our risen one that we're saying we follow. So that's what we're doing starting today, probably for over the whole next year. And what we're going to do in this current series is some of you may not know this, but the book of John, the biology, the biology, wow, what is with me with words today? Biography of John that John wrote on Jesus. He did something interesting. He set it up so that he wrote within it seven miracles of Jesus that he considered as signs. And to him, what a sign is, it's pointing to something more ultimate than the thing itself. And so John wrote these seven signs to teach us what is Jesus? What, who is he really? And what is he really all about? And that's what we're going to be studying for these next weeks ahead, these signs. And so today, we look at Jesus' first sign miracle we read in the passage. And his first sign of this ultimate reality of what's really going on that's ultimate in Jesus happens at a party, a wedding feast. Now, before we dive into the events of this, we're in the 21st century, right? So we have to kind of scramble our way back into the first century to try to understand a little bit more about what was the worldview of John's readers when he first wrote the biography of Jesus and what were the, the, the worldview of the Jewish people. So that's what we want to do. And he, here's what we have to understand. In what I call the original testament, commonly called the Old Testament, one of the ways that God's rescue of the world salvation for the world is and was described is is described as this sort of like great messianic banquet this banquet that god promises that he would throw for all the people someday that's one of the ways if you follow that thread throughout the original testament in fact i'll cite my sources uh the great prophet isaiah here's what he says i'll put it up on the screen he writes about it he says on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. I'm getting hungry already reading about it. Of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Now that's just one example. I'm not going to go through all of them. So when we get to this text, the Jews were waiting and watching for a time when God would just sort of bust through the world's brokenness, just bust through and just provide this mind-blowing feast and, and to swallow up death and to wipe away all the tears. That was what they were looking for and watching and waiting for. 
So understanding that, now that we're good historians going back to understand the worldview, John begins his description of Jesus's mission in a world, in this world, at a wedding feast that was dealing with an incredibly huge problem. They didn't have any wine. Now that's hard for you and I to go, well, just go go down to 7-Eleven and get more boxes of it or whatever you got to do, right? It's just that, why is that a big deal? And again, this is why it helps us to be students of culture. Let me try to explain it this way. When it's culturally expected that the groom's family provide plenty, and that's a key word, plenty of food and drink for the course of seven days of celebration, for all of the attending guests, running out could bring you trouble because there's no store to go to in the first century down at the corner to get more. You had to have been planning months and maybe years in advance of having enough wine. And here's where the trouble could bring you. Within that culture, it could bring lasting shame to the host family. Now, we live in an individualized culture, so we don't get shame and honor cultures, but they still exist in our world. And it was a shame and honor culture. If you were shamed within a shame and honor culture, that was problem. In addition, we understand this, financial loss. In addition, you could suffer up to one half of the value of all of the gifts brought by the guests to help bless the host family as well as this new couple starting their life. All the guests could go, you know what? We're taking up to half of the value of these. We're taking it all home. So this mistake, running out of wine, could harmfully impact the couple and their family for years. It's a big deal. So Jesus' mother, we read in the text, brought this big problem to his attention. As moms do, right? You know, hey, son, take care of this. And, And he says to her, woman, have no fear. I know when I read that too, I'm like, Jesus, go easy on your mom. Like, it sounds like he's being condescending. That's not actually what's happening. It's actually a term of polite respect. He says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Or maybe better to say, it's not yet time to act on my mission. Now, what Jesus is doing here in John is he's telling his mom that his mission in life is not to be the good first son anymore. It's now to be on the beck and call of God the Father. This is where the mission starts. Now, Mary, I'm sure, could not have fully understood what in the world her firstborn child was saying to her in that moment. But she is like us, right, following Jesus. We don't always get him. <laughs> what, what did that mean, huh? But here's what she did do, which I hope could be your life too. She still trusted him to take care of the problem. And so she told the, the, the servant, she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus responded in a way that nobody would have expected. He told the servants to go fill the washing jars, also known as the feet and hand washing jars. Remember, right? They're traveling. They don't have shoes like us. So their feet are kind of grimy when they show up to the party. And their hands have to be kind of clean because they're mostly eating with their hands and their fingers. So this is the water that's kind of for cleaning. And he says, take those jars and fill them to the brim with water. He didn't do anything more than just say, fill it with water. And then he says, now just draw some out and take it over to the banquet master. That's it. That's all Jesus said. 
And then the banquet pro, which is literally what he was, he was a professional banquet thrower. He drinks what we know in the text is probably that's going to be water, right? And he drinks and he says, this is good stuff. Where'd this come from? And he realizes it's wine. It is not the cheap, diluted wine that even in that culture, that's what you do. Everybody's buzzed. They're having a good time. They don't know the difference. Keep them buzzed. Give them the, the soft stuff. He goes, this is choice. This is choice wine. And you and I have to think award-winning wine. Just last night, our band, uh, our Johnny Cash cover band played at Oregon Wines, and I had a little sip of choice wine. It's a, there's a difference. There's a difference. I'm just saying. Choice wine in abundance. And you can read commentators ranging from 120, 180 gallons of choice wine. And here's what we see. The overflowing goodness of God and of his kingdom, it just busts out. It just busts out. It's sneaking up on everyone in the room, in the middle of a family's weighty and potentially life-damaging troubles. It just busts out. Now watch this. This whole event wasn't experienced as just some sort of fantastic party trick. It certainly wasn't experienced as a fantastic, just interesting party trick by the host family. Because the couple and their extended family instantly go. This is the thing we often miss in the passage. They are instantly going from scary potential of crippling financial loss and, and public shame in a shame and honor culture. It suddenly pivots to surprising and unexpected overflowing assets 180 gallons worth that not only provided for their needs, but also further fueled an ongoing joyous celebration. And also, this was not seen as just a fantastic party trick by the disciples. How do I know that? Because John tells us in the text. Let me read it. Quote, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Meaning they saw the deeper meaning in the winemaking. It wasn't just about making wine. They saw that Jesus is the one. He's the one. That's the guy. He's the one who is bringing into the broken world the surprising and overflowing joy of the long-awaited and promised messianic feast. It's busting open right here, right in front of us. They realize that. Jesus is the party. He's the promised party bringing the wine of God's great gladness into our life's brokenness. And that's the first thing I want us to see in this study of the signs of Jesus, is that Jesus is the source of every joy breaking into the brokenness of now and will also arrive fully in eternity. Maybe you didn't know it in your life, but all throughout your life, whatever joy has bubbled forth at any point in your life, you know who the source behind that is? It's the great mess- Messiah, the, the host of the Messianic banquet, Jesus himself. I had a seminary professor, Alita had him too, Dr. David Ekman, and he, he, was, kind of a, he, he was kind of a mad scientist, brilliant in many ways, but also couldn't figure out how to get home sometimes. And... Um, he had this theory, and his theory was, was that 
most Christians, when they get to heaven, will be shocked. Because when they get to heaven, they're going to they're gonna fall over backwards because they're going to see God, the Father, smiling from ear to ear at them. And they're going to go, who is that guy? Who, who is smiling at me? Who is that? And they're going to be shocked when they see Jesus the Son laughing from his belly and experiencing in heaven that the oxygen of heaven is the gladness that's everywhere in the air of heaven. And they'll just be shocked and they'll go, where am I? The kingdom of Jesus is not dullness and boredom. It is joy beyond joy and overflowing gladness. The kingdom of Jesus, it is not hard work rewarded with more hard work. You know, you know what the work of heaven is? It's the work of children. And my, my dear wife, Alita, got to do early childhood education in her studies. And you know what the work of children is? Play. The work of heaven is going to be play. The kingdom of Jesus, it's not an eternity of being perfectly clear about everything that God is against. It is an eternity so flooded with the perfect love and joy and gladness of God that it floods out and it casts out all fear and mourning and crying and pain and ultimately death. Jesus delivers what unbelievers who want nothing to do with God and believers are thirsty for from deep inside. He provides what believers and unbelievers are like are thirsty for, which is this. The desire for joy breaking into the brokenness of now with the hope of a transcendent future that's loaded with nothing but joy and gladness. Every human being has that deep inside. Now, knowing that, that begs some questions. The first question is this, is are you missing out on this joy and gladness? Because still in your life, and this is why it's good to double back and look at Jesus again, because still, that doesn't matter how many years you've been following Jesus, you still have somewhat of a misshapen, malformed view of God and Jesus. This is why it's good. We've got to double back. Do you have a misshapen view of God that thinks his love means he's tolerating me? When I get into the living room of heaven, I don't get to sit on the couch. I get to sit on that couch with the plastic covers. That's how God's going to treat me. Do you have a misshapen view of God where he's only interested in output? He is only interested in your moral output. He is only interested in your missional output. Do you have a view of God that thinks he likes you living in constant go mode? wants you to sort of stay in a sort of a slave-like hamster wheel existence. And maybe there's the hope of rest and enjoyment in heaven. That's my first question. I think this whole thing begs. Do you, in your life and in your heart, still have somewhat of a malformed view of God? Still. Second, flowing out of any misshapen view of God, this is where you get to be honest with yourself. There's no value if you're not honest. Where are you in your life actually going in your life to access the joy and gladness that God wired in you to desire? Where are you actually going for that? Are you doing it the typical way of the world? It's okay. We can be honest. This is this place filled with God's grace. So it's better for us to just be pure and vulnerable and honest. 
the typical way of the world, which is to, to access joy and gladness on your terms by accessing the counterfeit joys of, you know, uh, sex, self-medication, influence, power, more toys, more money that are offered in the world system. Where in essence, you're settling for joy, but it's a much lesser version of it. Are you going about it in the typical way of the malformed, malnourished follower of Jesus? The malformed, malnourished follower of Jesus who basically is trying to access joy and gladness on the terms that are offered within the world system with a few infrequent moments when you maybe kind of come to your senses to enjoy the joy and gladness that are offered by following Jesus, actually. Or is this you or is this what you want it to be? The typical way of an actual full disciple of Jesus who keeps their eyes ever fixed on Jesus, even when you don't get them, like his mother Mary. You keep your eyes on Jesus looking for his joy to just surprisingly burst out in the brokenness of now. And always ready to stop everything you're doing to reverence and to wildly celebrate every grace of God in this life with the deeper understanding that every good grace of God in this life, it is just like this beautiful hors d'oeuvre that's reminding you of the face that you're going to enjoy forever. To deeply know the real Jesus is to intimately know and daily encounter, even on our worst days, the rich gladness of the kingdom party that is still raging on earth as it is in heaven all the time. So here's what I want you to consider. This week, um, I was listening to a preview of Apple's new number one, number one new podcast. It's a podcast that's called A Slight Change of Plans. Slight Change of Plans. The host of the show is a doctor, Dr. Maya Shankar. Let me make sure I read this right. She has a Bachelor of Arts from Yale a PhD from Oxford, go John's people, and a postdoctoral fellowship in cognitive neuroscience from Stanford, way above my, my mental grade. Her podcast, though, it's interesting. It's all about trying to understand both the science of the brain as well as the personal stories of how people can, human beings can navigate change and sometimes heartbreaking change. Well, in this episode, this preview episode, Maya, Dr. Maya Shankar flipped the script and she became the, inter- the person being interviewed about heartbreak in her life. And the story is that she and her husband have been unable to have their own children, which as I've walked with people in this church, that is its own deep heartbreak. And um, they chose and they had the resources to do it to become parents through surrogacy. And she tells us, she told the story of how they, you know, she says it's kind of a weird thing of like looking, it's not like trying to find somebody to date, like, you know, loves long walks on the sunset. It's like, have successfully carried to term three of my own children. You know, you're like, she's like, it's a kind of a weird thing trying to find a surrogate that you think is going to be a good home for your children. And they came upon this woman named Haley. And 
Haley to then just became an angel to them. She was so inclusive and the, the, Maya and her husband and Haley just kind of became a team and everything was just looking so good and so hopeful for Maya to have some, be able to be a mom. Until at six weeks, Haley, who had three of her own children and never had a problem, she miscarried the baby. And the miscarriage happened literally the day before lockdown in California hit. And so suddenly you're in complete isolation and in pain. Well, after a year of grieving and a lot of Zoom conversations with them supporting each other, Haley, the surrogate mom, and Maya and her husband, they all decided to try again. Like, miraculously, Haley was willing to let her body, put her body through that for them so that they could have a child, and they were willing to risk it again. And everything was going so well and looking so positive and so good. But on exactly the same day, six weeks into the second pregnancy, Haley once again miscarried Maya's twins. Twins. And I'm not going to lie... When I, I mean, I'm going to lose it even a little bit here. I, I wept when I heard her story because it, it, it brought up, it brought up the, the weeping that I've done as I prayed for so many of you, the struggles that you've been through, the, the, the physical challenges that you've been through, the marriages that have been struggling. And it went from my own, my own deep recent losses and struggles in my own life. It was just utter sadness. But the producer, who was standing in as the interviewer, towards the end asked an interesting question to Maya. He asked Maya, who stated very clearly in the podcast, she doesn't have any faith of any kind. He asked her about her feelings for the surrogate mom, Haley, after all that she'd been through. And just something really beautiful came out of Dr. Maya Shankar's mouth. She softly said this, and I want to read it because I want to get her words. She softly said, I just love her. The regret part of my brain has just been able to kind of turn off because I'm like, wait, if we hadn't gone through this experience, we would not have met this wonderful human being. That counts too in life, right? We should be putting weight on that too. Humans who come into our lives and enrich our lives. And then she finally said this, and I want to put it up on the screen. I want you to see it. Life is not just about achieving a series of outcomes. It's also letting in and creating space for unexpected, beautiful gifts. Without even knowing it, an avowed unbeliever of any faith is experiencing and describing the kingdom of God. And that's to us who have Jesus present with us, breaking in to wipe our tears and to fill our hearts with his gladness. So right now, no matter the situation, Jesus is somehow the source of some kind of joy breaking into the brokenness of your personal now. And it's a joy that's going to fully arrive for you in eternity. So here's the party invite. The party invite is this, is to celebrate the good that Jesus is doing and watch for the goodness Jesus will do. That's your party invitation. That's my party invitation. Now, in saying that, can I please just, first of all, talk to the person who does not yet believe? 
who has not confessed with their mouth, Jesus Christ is the risen one. He is the Lord of life. I'm following him. The kingdom party that Dr. Maya so well described and experienced, it has been chasing you for your entire life. Maybe you didn't know this and you haven't made the connection yet, but every perfect joy and gladness you've had in his life is because God in his great mercy and grace has been chasing you to say, do you see what I want to give you? Do you see the party that I want to have you enter into? God's been chasing you. I'm asking you today, if you hear this, whether it's online or you're seeing here in person, take the RSVP. Come on, take the RSVP from the actual host behind all of the joy and the gladness that ever is in the world at all and enter the party. Come in your weariness to find rest for your soul and tell Jesus the host of the messianic banquet, the party, tell him, I want you. I want to enter your kingdom. I admit I don't deserve to come into this party, but I, and I know it's offered as a pure gift, but I'm saying Yes. And if that's you today, let me know. Let somebody you love know that you said yes to the RSVP from the host of the kingdom party. For all of you who already believe, I want you to do something in your heart. In your heart, I want you to start learning to get better at putting on your party hat. I mean, in the party hat that, you know, is ordered in the heavenly oriental trading company in the sky, with, uh, you know, disco ball theme on it. Because, you know, the kingdom party is all about that kind of thing. It's all about hitting that microphone. And here's what I want you to hear. And, and, I, and I, want you to, I want you to be shocked by the juxtaposition of what's happening right in front of your face. No matter if life is more joy than sorrow or sorrow than joy right now, to put on that hat in your heart, knowing there's never going to be a time in your life where we have great joy without also some sorrow. Or a time in your life of great sorrow without also some joy. You're going to grow up as you follow Jesus to understand life is life. And then you're going to slow down. And you're going to celebrate what Jesus is doing. Go mode is not God's intended way for us to live our lives all the time. Life is not about achieving a series of outcomes. It is also about putting on the party hat and opening our eyes and our hearts to the unexpected beautiful gifts of our beautiful Jesus giving to us, that he's giving to us all the time. And he's giving them to us even in our darkest hours. It's also to slow down your pace. I'm speaking to myself. Slow down your breathing. Slow down your mindfulness to be on the lookout for what Jesus, the master of the Messianic banquet, is going to do to come in and burst into your life with joy and gladness. I want you to, to learn how to grow in holding an eager expectation for how Jesus' deep gladness is going to show up. Don't be afraid as a Christian to imagine and await what kind of praise 
is going to come out of my mouth to God as hard and as dark and as difficult as whatever this is. Imagine what kind of praise is going to come out of my mouth to God when I get on the other side of this because you know that's how the master of the banquet works. And you know it in advance. Jesus' kingdom party, it's actually all around us all the time in all kinds of surprising ways. We are a people who are being invited by the host to grow in the grace of celebrating all that Jesus gives us to enjoy and to celebrate. I'm going to invite Rodney and, and Todd to come on back. And as they get set to lead us in more musical worship, look, I get it. Wearing a party hat through real life and keeping that party hat even on in your heart where people can't see it, but they can see it in your countenance, in your face. It can look and feel kind of foolish. I get that. And it can feel like go mode is a better solution for survival. I've lived that. But I want to tell you something. Wearing the party hat of the messianic banquet that's dawning in this world even right now as we speak, even with a war going on in this world, it's still dawning. When you can do the spiritually formation discipline of putting on the party hat within your heart, Here's what will happen. Your sorrows will not be nearly as deep and insurmountable as you experience God's deep gladness showing up to surprise you in the middle of your sorrows, bursting forth. And your joy will be magnified tenfold because you're going to get better at stopping and you're doing the practice of your party skills for heaven. And I'm, I, I got to warn you now, you got to get your party skills on because we're going to boogie in heaven and you better get good at it because that's what eternity is going to be. It's going to be a party and learning how to do it by reverencing and slowing down and celebrating the unearned graces of God and celebrating the great joy of God in your life. Right now, Jesus is somehow behind some kind of joy breaking into the brokenness of your now which is a teasing taste of the inexpressible joy that awaits you and me in eternity. Put on your party hat and look around to celebrate the good that Jesus is doing and be on the lookout for the good he's going to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Um, Man, this is one I, I have to double back and remember to reverence and celebrate amazing good things that you give and remember that this is what awaits in all of its fullness where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain that's a party god thank you that you do burst forth with your goodness at times when we're terrified and we don't know how you're going to solve things but you do and you're good and so god we thank you for that and we want to worship you because you are worthy of our worship In the name of your son, Jesus, the great banquet host. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.